What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to Sweat and Grime. You've got Brian, you got Matt, you got Rick, and on the phone, we are we are here with Mark Ratcliffe, who is actually a friend of a friend of a friend kind of deal. <clears throat> so as you guys may recall, we had Jackson Alonzo on here. What what was that about about a month month, a month and a half ago? And uh, Jackson Jackson's dad was in wildland firefighting. And so we were like, well, we should have him on. And and Jackson's dad said, well, I'm actually a little out of the industry. We should have my buddy on Mark. And so, Mark, that is how you came to be. How are you this evening? I'm doing well. Thanks. We appreciate Thanks joining. You. Yeah, Mark. we appreciate yeah. you being on the podcast for sure. So uh, so the, the topic for tonight is uh, wildland firefighting. Is that the correct term for what you guys do? Or is it forest firefighting? What is the correct term? No, wildland fire would be the best term. I mean, that that can happen on grass, that can happen in brush and forest. Okay, so that's, a, that's a good term. Okay, so so can you give us a little bit of your kind of history of how you came to be in that particular industry and and how you kind of came up into it and and you've kind of raised through the ranks a little bit in that and just kind of your story there. Sure, sure. So um, many of the western. Uh, well, many of the state agencies, along with federal, the Forest Service, does have a wildfire um, branch or program. Some are year-round, some are seasonal. And I started with uh, Washington State Department of Natural Resources about well, a little bit of internship through college, but almost 27 years ago. Oh, wow. And Showing your age. Of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so a lot of, um, a lot of people in DNR, uh, it's a volunteer thing. Some people say, no, I don't want to ever see flame. I don't want to ever do it. That's fine. But for those that do, there is a training program that DNR will put you through. And so when I first started, um, it's a firefighter too, in that you go through what we call guard school where you learn the basics. Uh, in, in fact, you know, this is where you learn you know, even the discipline of single file walking in line. Um, you learn the, how, uh, how a camp system works. You learn fire wildland uh, behavior, how weather affects, how terrain affects fires. Um, and then as you, as you then go on assignments, um, the first assignments might be on a hand crew. So you're with 20 guys digging in the dirt, um, digging line or, uh, you know, using um, even some hose if you're on an engine to put out the fire. And so that's how I started. And over the years, um, as people retire and move on and then get too old, they don't want to do it anymore. You know, you, you work up through the ranks and there's there's many ranks, there's many levels. And then there's also many avenues uh, to, to pursue, depending on someone's interest or their skill set. All right. And over, over the years, um, I've just, you know, uh, gone up and DNR keeps saying, "Hey, Mark, what do you want to do? Or we, well, if you want to do it, we're going to train you and and just keep at it." So, so what are kind of some of the different avenues? Because I didn't realize that. I thought that's what this was a relatively structured system, almost like a, a a fire department, to where you kind of work your way through the ranks. But there's a pretty pretty clear system. But you're saying there's actually fingers within that system that you can go down. Yeah, yeah. Now I'll be only. Uh, I, I know certainly how the Fed system works, but I'll be mostly speaking on how the state system works. But sure, there is a there is a national um, coordinating group that that sets pretty high standards for training, 
uh, and the feds and the states and private still have to go through that. In fact, um, what we have is a red card. It's not necessarily red ever, but that's what we call it. Sure. And and um, that is your training. And on that red card, your quals, your qualifications are on there. And so different avenues is, you know, everyone generally starts out as a firefighter. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you go up to different ranks as like strike team leader, task force leader, division, and incident commander. However, uh, you know, on complex fires, we need, it's basically a city. So we need logistics help. We need communication help. We need plans. Um, you know, we need someone to, who's going to order the porta potties, who's going to order lunches. Well, there's um, time. There's there's enough time to use the bathroom while you're fighting fighting fires. You actually you use the bathroom on the fire. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I was thinking. Well, well, I'm only, uh, that's only in camp. So gotcha. you're gotcha. okay. All right, all right. <laughs> but so the avenues then are, you know, someone may not ever want to be on the fire line. Mm-hmm. You know, where there's where there's a little element of risk. Um, a little danger, a little, you know, fun to some degree. Sure. So they may want to be a logistic person or they might want to be a finance person or a food purchaser person. So there's various avenues. They may not see flame, but they're in the, uh, if you will, the incident command system yeah. running a major fire. Gotcha. Interesting. And I- what do you consider a little element of fire there when you were just talking about, you know, it could be a big fire, a little fire. What's a little fire to someone like you out on the front line? Well, so I'll give you I'll give you some rough numbers. Um, uh, in 2021 in Washington, there, we had approximately 1,200 fires. Wow! And so now, now, so your question this so many of those were little. Many of those were under 10 acres. All right. Oh wow. Um, and so, um, what, what DNR does is we, we have jurisdiction or we respond to unimproved property. So unimproved property is a large chunk of forest land, mm-hmm. or it could be someone's wood lot, you know, out behind the, the town and it's unimproved. And so therefore, uh, we would respond. And sometimes, you know, we have fires that, that are only an acre cause we get on them and we, we, we get them out. Um, the difference would be if, if that fire creeps into improved property or structures, then that's where fire districts uh, would be the lead or we would coordinate with them. Gotcha. Interesting. So, so on these large fires that get into populated areas, you're actually working in conjunction with the local fire departments? Oh, yeah. If, yes, definitely. When it gets closer to communities or their structures involved, we are not trained um, which is appropriate. We do not have the gear to address Do structure uh, fires. I got gotcha. you. Right, right. But, but, you know, say there's, it could be one house or there could be a whole neighborhood and then the complexity and how many, how much coordination depends on that. So on these little fires, you know, an acre or 10 acre little fire, when do you fly the Portageon in and set up camp? Like you're going to be here for a little bit on a, on an acre or 10 acre fire yeah. here. I mean, these are pretty little. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we we do want to save tax money on that. So if it's a ten acre fire, that's typically one where, let's say, um, you know, let's say in Eastern Washington, we get a report of a some smoke or someone sees some active burning. 
there's we have in the summer in the fire season we have full-time year, year um seasonal staff right. that respond to those and so say you know it starts out someone someone's burn pile got away and then it escapes to you know a few acres well as we're rolling depending on the wind that could increase but if we hit it at 10 acres that you're talking you know several engines maybe a hand crew or two overhead and if we can get that in a, a a shift period say you know we get there at 10 in the morning and we can have it contained in the evening we may not there's no party parties we're ordering lunches from safeway uh People may be just sleeping, you know, either in a tent at night or they're going home and we'll tackle it again on the morning. So you're not going to need to uh, call in uh, Rick with his uh, Porter John pump truck then. Right. Yeah, exactly. it's, a, it's a bring your own toilet paper exactly. situation. Yep. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so now I have to ask real quick and, and it's OK. You could be honest with us. We won't tell anyone as the wildland guys. Do, do you kind of look at the the typical urban firefighter is kind of the the sissy guys on the on the crew because they don't come out and hike in the woods and <laughs> you can be honest it's all yeah. right we won't tell yeah. Yeah. So, there, there probably is a, a little bit of machiness to that um but uh i wouldn't want to enter some of the things and deal with some of the things they do so yeah they look at us and say hey you want to follow me into a building and we may say no yeah <laughs> so so it you know that's a that's a funny question but at the same time in all honesty do you guys typically get along with with the the local departments pretty well is is there pretty good communication and and respect for each mutual department yeah that, that's a fair that's a good question because um, you know, even though we're different agencies, you've got you've got rural fire di- districts, you've got state, you've got federal, you've got private contractors on a complex fire. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a community. Uh, um, firefighting, wildland firefighting, and maybe structure is a is a community. I've gone on fires, and I don't see the people ever again on to until the next season on a fire. All right, wow. and so there's a camaraderie, there's a bonding. Um, I think where the headaches get, that's where you have to deal with payments, finance, you know, who's, you know, who's getting paid, whose jurisdiction that's up higher. I, I typically don't like to deal with that, Yeah. but on the ground, on the fire land in camp, it's a pretty tight community. That's awesome. Now, awesome. How do you, how do you guys plan for a 10 acre fire? Obviously you do some training and it's not just a quick little in line you guys do prescribe burns and kind of work on stuff like that? Or is it like, well, here's, here's the, the training assets of, we got a 10, 15 acre burn. Let's do it. Let's call them in. Well, so let's, let's just pick that, you know, your typical 10 acre fire in Eastern Washington is going to maybe have a little bit of grass, a little bit of trees and if, and, and say they do contain it at 10 acres. So we'll use this one, that example. Um, if we get a call, uh, the generally, and say it's from a neighbor. Hey, I see flames over on the hill. Um, generally, that goes through a dispatch dispatch system, right. and they're looking at closest resources. So on their map, they may say, "Oh, look, engine one and engine two are ten miles away." They will roll those guys. Now, um, generally, they're also thinking about okay, overhead and you know additional resources. Once the first person gets there, and let's say it's it's an engine. Uh, there is an engine lead, and he has been, in order to be a, a an engine leader, he has had more training than, say, the general firefighter. Yeah. So that individual is going to look at that and say, man, 
I need a couple more engines. I need a hand crew. I need a dozer. I need some overhead. And in some rare cases, it's going to be like, you know, this is blowing up. We need, you know, we need air support. We need logistics. Now it's, it's what it is, is complexity. And so if the first engine and it's his second year say, and he's like, Oh man, this is out of my control. He's going to then let dispatch say, I need someone I need overhead and overhead is a general term for like the strike team leader, the division soup. Gotcha. Uh, okay. Commander. That makes sense. The one that's going to come out and help establish and put out the fire. Yeah. And, and have certainly more years, more experience, more training to say, Oh yeah, we can handle it with two engines or no, w- w- this is, this is blowing up. We need, you know, we need a full, full, you know, grade, so to speak. So, I do. I do have to take a quick side for a moment and and tell a story. Um, yeah, I'm originally from Texas, and Texas is you know much like California in the summertime. It is bone dry. Everything's brown. Cactus and tumbleweeds. It, it, yeah, like if you rub two sticks together too long, it's you're gonna gone. ignite a fire. So <laughs> when I was in high school, um, we we were in a particularly bad dry spell. And it's a little breezy day and I was going to go into town. We lived in a relatively small town. I was going to go into town with my sister and we were going to go run some errands. I had to go drop some stuff and, you know, my sister wanted to come hang out with me. So it was like, okay, let's jump in the car. So we're on our way out to the car and I see my mom carrying a bunch of cardboard boxes out to our backyard. And we had five acres at the time and, and we butted up against this ranch that was like 150 acres. And, um, <laughs> and so I said, uh, what are you doing there, mom? And she's like, oh, I was just going to burn a couple boxes. And I said, we're, we're oh. under a mighty big burn ban right now. And she's like, oh, they'll never catch me in my little fire. <laughs> I'm like, mom, it's it's pretty breezy. I don't know that that's the best idea. And she's like, hey, it'll be fine. I'm like, okay, okay, whatever. So my sister and I jump in the truck and we head into town and we hit the post office and, you know, another store and. I don't think anything about it, but you know, I hear sirens. We lived on a relatively busy highway that kind of went through the town. And so there were always car accidents and everything. And so we hear a couple sirens go and I don't think anything about it. And you know, there must be an accident up on 290. (laughs) And so we hit another store and more sirens are going by. And I'm like, man, that must be a pretty good accident. Cause you know, it's even more engines going out. And so, but again, I'm not even, doesn't even cross my mind that it's anything related to my mother. And so we're coming back to the house after our errands. We've been gone 45 minutes to an hour. And uh, (laughs) as we crest the hill to where you can see down into our subdivision, I'm not even paying attention. I'm listening to the radio and jamming out. My sister's like, oh, my God. And I was like, what? (laughs) And I look over and the back of our property is just this plume of smoke. And I immediately die laughing because I know exactly what happened. And, it, and, and for the record, before I, before. before I sound like a callous a-hole, uh, I did tell my, you know, I, I could see that the fire was under control and it wasn't getting out of hand. But, <laughs> but I told you so. I, oh, I die laughing because I know exactly what's going on. And I'm, you know, I'm a little kid at heart. There was like, 11, I think I counted 11 trucks going through the woods and there were four tankers pulling out of a pond next door. So we had all wow. of that on our property because, you know, it's Texas. It's going to go. Oh, they yeah. have to catch it or it's going to go. And so I'm like a kid in a candy store. We're pulling in the driveway and I'm like, this is awesome. <laughs> this is so great. And so we pull into the driveway. We're weaving in and out of all these fire trucks. And here comes my mom across the yard covered in black soot. <laughs> 
It looks trying like to tame the it fire. looks like smeared mascara because her tears are <laughs> causing the soot to run, and she has her shovel and she's just beating at these. You know, we got eleven trucks on the on the site, but she's out there with her shovel. By God, she's fighting that fire. <laughs> I jump out. I'm like, I thought they weren't gonna catch you in your little fire, yeah, and right? she just breaks down crying. She's like, Go call your father. <laughs> so I call my dad, <laughs> and my dad's first response: We kept the boat on the back of our property is the boat okay i it's, it's, yeah. I was like dad you gotta come home mom set the whole back backwoods on fire <laughs> and his first thing is well is the boat okay <laughs> <laughs> and and here's where sexism comes in if i had set that fire by burning cardboard boxes you know my butt would be in you jail been beat up my mom got off with a freaking warning. Yep. She bad the eyes. <laughs> mascara running and down. And for 10 yeah. years, that warning sat on our refrigerator, magnetized it. We would not let her take it down. <laughs> you guys are awesome. great. <laughs> we are. We, yeah, kids. we gave her so much crap over that. So so anyway, I apologize. I had to tell that story because it's relatable. Next time we meet. Nope. <laughs> yeah, how's the fire? Yeah. Now, Mark, how, how big of a fire and when does overhead start calling in for like a bulldozer to come in and start cutting slots? throughout the woods to contain something when it's spreading so fast. Yeah, no, it, it, I think it, it really does contain it, it or um, not contain. It does depend on um, the term we would use for uh, the fuels. So is it grass? Is it timber? Uh, is it, you know, it also depends on, you know, the wind and the fire behavior. So if it's, if it's just smoldering and dinking around in the grass, and it isn't spreading fast, uh, we may, you know, the, that two, those two engines, say, on our 10-acre fire, they may say, okay, we can get this. Now, 10 acres is pretty big for two engines. Yeah. But if they believe they can control it, uh, you know, maybe it's wetting it down and then digging line later. It's really when we think that we can't control it with the resources we have, and it's going to become a different complexity, that's when we're starting to order resources such as, dozers uh even air support either a helicopter or our planes when and does so the fire jumpers it, come <laughs> well we do have we do have some in, in washington um but they're generally tacking those more remote uh you know you get a lightning get a lightning strut come through and you know after a day or two uh some of those start to raise their head and you can see the smoke. That's generally what the uh, smoke jumpers are after. Gotcha, gotcha. Because because you know we can't you can't drive it to it, right? Mm-hmm. And so, just to clarify for people who are totally unfamiliar with this process, when you talk about digging line, you're actually talking about creating a physical fire break where you are you are turning over the dirt so that the fire the flame cannot leap across that channel. Correct. That's correct. Yeah. You are cutting the fuel, you are cutting the fuels off from spreading. And if you don't call it a dozer, this is typically done by hand with shovels and hose. Yes. Yes. So if it's, um, if, if the fire behavior is low, uh, and, and, uh, you know, sometimes you may only have to be able to dig a you know, two foot line, but a 12-person crew, especially hot shots, um, they are called hot shots for a reason. They're good at what they do. Um, you know, they can go through and dig a, t- a two-foot line pretty fast. And Interesting. So, but, but if it's 
if it's really blowing hard and that, you know, we're getting spot fires or it's running fast, then um, a two foot line may not hold at all. In some cases it won't. Gotcha. So if we have the opportunity, especially grass or uh, moderate slopes, not a lot of timber, then we do, we use dozers quite a bit. And in fact, most of our um, complex uh, or project fires, we call them, um, sometimes you may have seven or eight dozers on that fire. Oh, right. wow. Now, is there any time that you know a fire starts out and you're like, all right, it's not jeopardizing any structures, so on and so forth. Do you guys just let it rip? And then maybe like five, 10 miles out, you, you put a giant line so that it doesn't jump further because isn't, you know, a forest fire is bad, but it's also good in some sense because it keeps it from happening later on down the road. Right. No, you're right. You're right. Those are, you know, two things. Um, the first one would be, uh, you know, the main things, you know, fight fire aggressively, but provide for safety. You know, that's our, that's our mantra. And so if, if, and there's various places you don't want to go head to head with a fire mm-hmm. because your chances are, are low. So if it's very active behavior and we do not want to risk getting resources in, in a certain area, then we may take a pretty, uh, you know, back up quite a way, maybe a ridge or two and say, this is we're going to, where we're going to make our front. All right. Um, a lot of things go into that, but you're right. You know, fire is healthy. Um, and I'm not a fire ecologist, but what we're seeing, unfortunately, is just more intense fires where uh, the whole stands are being replaced. And so the fires of, you know, several years, 100 years, a thousand years ago were not um, as intense. And is that climate warming? Is it poor forest health? It's a, I'm sure it's a variety of factors. Yeah, because I kind of look at it, you know, sometimes, you know, fire, forest fires are bad, but, you know, sometimes you got to think about, well, these people put themselves in the middle of a campfire, you know, <laughs> you know, so, yeah, it's bad. And now we're, we're putting other people's lives in danger to save their structure because they decided to build inside of a very hot spot. Yeah, good you question. Know? When When's the point of looking at someone else's house going, let it burn? Yeah. When do you ask that question? When do you say, let it burn? Right. Well, it, it, yeah. I mean, you know, having a home in the woods is a very romantic thing. I I get it. Um, We always want people when they're in their fire, their house and they burn in a area that is, has um, historic fire behavior. Mm -hmm. And I'll digress just as tad in that, you know, the Eastern uh, forests of California and Washington and Oregon, you know, that Ponderosa grass forest, you know, it's a historically before we were here, that's a 25, 30, 40 year cycle. All right. But they came through, they cleaned things out. They did their work ecologically. The, so the West side, you know, where it rains a lot on the West side of the Cascades, you know, that's maybe a two, 300, 500 year history. Wow. wow. Now, so, but yes, uh, we want people, if they are building and there's a lot of houses in the, in the forests, you know, the, the term we use is defensible space. So if they have a wood pile right up to the house, if they've got tree branches and pine needles right in the gutter, that may not be a defensible house. Mm-hmm. We may not be able to save that, especially if it's a wind drawn fire. 
Understood. We, we, we'd like to assess, we have to assess them. That's what our goal and that's what the structure folks do. But in some cases, if it, uh, we won't risk uh, human life, to save a house when we don't think we can. No. So I've got a, I've got a couple questions. I want to go back for just a second and then we'll come back to what we just talked about. Uh, going back to your dozer. And then also I want to talk about some of your uh, air capabilities. How quick are you talking from a deployment aspect? If you call for a dozer on site, roughly, I know it kind of depends on where the fire is located in relation to resources, but roughly what kind of timeline are you looking at before a dozer shows up and unloads off a trailer? And similarly, if you call for air support, how quickly do you have a plane in the air dumping water? So, yeah, um, let's say, let's say about that 10 acre fire, let's say they thought, you know what, we really need a dozer on this. Uh, each region scattered, we have different regions, geographical areas and dispatch centers in, in Washington. They have a call down list and they'll have Joe's dozer, you know, Bill's excavating, mm-hmm. you know, Sally's whatever. And, and they'll say, Oh, you know, Bill lives five miles away. And if they have him on the list, uh, there's ways that operators can get on contracts interesting uh, they may and you know maybe he's out doing a little earthwork and he that means so you guys uh you know how it seems but he can track on over yeah well well you gotta load it you know move it over unload it you know so it may be several hours mm-hmm. indeed i mean you might as well yeah, finish the um, finish grade first <laughs> yeah that's <laughs> right yeah i'll be over there in another 20 or 30 minutes <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but on a on a larger complex, when 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 the big team gets in, I mean, and they're ordering, you know, we need five dozers, six excavators. Sometimes that does take days. Wow. Uh, and you know, sometimes they're not many available. Yeah. Uh, summer is earthwork time, and and if there's many fires going on, you may ask for dozers and not get them. Hopefully, the government paid the uh, the bill from the last one, right? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Shoot, we can't call this guy because uh, we Still forgot to pay him. Yeah, Ooh, that last check bounced. Yeah. <laughs> and so, what is it like for air support? Is that I would think your response time there wouldn't be quite as long, just because you can cover so much ground so quickly in a plane versus loading a piece of equipment right. on a trailer. Right. And then the, so, so same thing with helicopters. Um, there are, there are some that are on private contract. The DNR, uh, um, DNR has helicopters. I don't know how many in the different types, but they're in various places throughout the summer. And so if there's a fire in the Northeast corner, they're going to be, calling and lifting those birds up in that area. And sometimes it's a, it's a matter of an hour or so. Wow. Um, for fixed, for fixed wing aircraft, uh, same thing, you know, it's, it's getting the pilot, getting it fueled, getting it ready. And they may, off, they may ready. also be on a different fire in a different state, you know? Yeah. Well, in, in, in the few last few years, there has been uh, resource orders for uh, air support and, you know, um, up high in the Escalon, if you will, you know, they're making decisions of what's priority. And so there may be 10 big fires going on and your fire may be the 10th one in order. And, you know, fire number one and two is going to get all the air support. You may not get your resource when you want it. Interesting. So then at what point do you turn and start running the house to house telling people they got to evacuate? knowing that like your resources 
they're not coming for a couple of days. At what point, you know, if it starts getting closer to the houses and spreading around, when do you make that call? Yeah. Well, let's say go back to that 10 acre fire and say, um, you know, the engine leader, he gets there and he says, oh, this is more, I'm just too busy. I, I can't manage this. I just need to focus on my, you know, corner or my crew. Then the, um, an incident commander is what we want those established at any level. Uh, there's various types. There's, there's, um, you know, from type one, that's the biggest, most complex fire uh, incident commander down to the lowest to type five or type four. And so they're going to be saying, oh, look, this, this ten, we're not going to be able to stop this 10 acres. And there's a neighborhood over there. They're going to be letting dispatch know, not only do they need maybe a dozer, they also, we need sheriff support. We need to let the you know, local jurisdiction know, county. And at that point, um, the going door to door is typically what the, um, the uh, uh, um, it's the term I want, you know, the, the local governments or the, it's a matter of, you know, it's a matter of looking at, okay, where's this headed? Where's the wind blowing? Mm-hmm. Where's the head headed? You know, is there anything in that path? Gotcha. Well, and that's where I was going to kind of go. I, since starting this conversation, my view of, of how this works has shifted quite a bit to where, you know, we think very much on the local scale of, you know, it's a couple hundred firefighters and it's air support and everything, but now I'm starting to open up to the bigger picture of the logistics support behind this whole operation and the people who are organizing and arranging. So when it comes to those large, uh, what did you call it? The type one fires or, or the large complex fires. So there are people, if my understanding is correct, that their entire job is determining where that fire is going, what areas need to be evacuated and then there's a whole team outside of the actual firefighters on the front line that are that are conducting those evacuations. It's not yes. the guys on the ground that are conducting those eva- evacuations. And you're actually right. That's a good assessment. Um, on a large, complex fire, you know, the kind you hear about on the news, right? Unfortunately, um, they that that whole it's think of it as a military operation. Certainly, those terms, right? Division mm-hmm. suit, incident commander. It's it's, it's very military esque. Sure, and and it has to be, because uh, we use we use the incident command system uh, for floods, for fire, for when the space shuttle blew up in over Texas. That was an yep. inc- incident command system, and so there's dedicated staff who are anticipating evacuations, uh, anticipating. There's plans. Well, the operation guys, they're the ones on the ground, but they're giving, you know, their higher ups, the planning sections chief, you know, we need to order these guys for tomorrow. We need to be thinking about two weeks from now. We need to be thinking about a month from Mm -hmm. now. And it's very, it's a good system um, because it's tied to a system. If we just all showed up and said, Hey, what do you want to do? Where should we start? Where should we end? You know, you're not going to be very efficient. You've got to have that structure in place and you've got to have a clear line of command. Exactly. Interesting. Your mom almost made military plans. You know what? There was probably a couple phone calls behind the scenes going on with that one (laughs) because it was going quick. (laughs) Now, Mark, what's the, what's the biggest fire you've been on so far? Uh, I have been on uh, type one fires. Um, typically, 
We do have those. Um, generally, a type two fire is mostly what I've I've gone on. Um, I can't remember the acres, and I don't even hardly remember the names of the fires anymore. It's um, but but on a type one or a type two, you're you're looking at a whole city taking over a school or a, a fairgrounds or a state park. Uh, you're talking about you know anywhere from six seven hundred to a thousand or so people wow and your job your job's on the line correct so yes um i am i do i do a little i do have line work i'm a single resource boss okay and so what that is is a single resource boss could be a resource boss over engines dozers fallers a falling team or crews but i also do um public information all right. And so, yes, most of my career has always been on the line. I've done, I've done some camp and some planning work in camps, but it's mostly been on the line. And what actually goes through your mind when you get a phone call or your pager goes off on this? Like, what's your process? What's your thoughts, personal life? Yes. On a fire <laughs> that's getting ready to take off. I get to go. <laughs> you, so, so yeah, um, it's, do I have enough underwear that's clean <laughs> that right? um, at the time? You got to uh, do a quick sniff know. test. <laughs> but if it's anything like me going up North camping, I bring a month's worth of clothes for a weekend well, and I don't change at all. Yeah, so. exactly. If you at least flip it inside out. You got another month. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so once that's you, so once um, you do an inventory check, <laughs> Yeah. Well, well, I always have, you know, um, we have our bags ready. Um, It it may not be everything, but I have all my uh, safety equipment, my boots there. It's ready to go. I do have to throw in socks and underwear and, you know, sunglasses, a hat, you know, bed pad, a tent. You know, we always have to get that. But it's a matter of, you know, okay, um, getting everything I need, my safety gear, my logistical gear, kissing my wife goodbye. And then headed out. All right. So you do have a family and everything. So it's not just you, you have to worry about it's you. you yeah. Got, you could, you better yeah. tell mama bye before yep. you leave. And you'll be in trouble. How, stra- right. how straining is this job on a relationship status? Well, uh, for me, I, I have three kids. They're older now. They don't, they, I don't need, they don't need me anymore. They're um, out of the house. Um, so, but um, when, when they were little, you know, there were some fires I didn't go on because I didn't want to leave three little kids with my wife. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Once they got into school and had their friends and their activities, then, you know, that freed up. Uh, I, you know, I would, for me, it hasn't been bad because I can, I can turn my phone off. And I, if they say, Mark, will you go? There's many times I said, no, I can't, you know, I also like my summers. So I may say, no, I've got annual leave or vacation leave, or I'm planning a trip. It's really a matter of, you know, when it works for me. I mean, that's selfish, but that's how I've managed it. Well, I was just about to but, say, is there any guilt when you're watching houses burn down on the news and you're like, well, we got that trip to Florida planned. I mean, we better <laughs> extend that one. <laughs> no, I don't think it's, I don't think it's guilt. Um, it is sad to see, you know, property yeah. certainly damaged. Um, if it's, um, and then even Washington state understands for their staff, there's still a daytime job foresters, engineers, but if it's a bad season or if a bad period of season, um, you know, there, our commissioner is going to, 
encourage supervisors and those in charge to say, we need to free up some people to go. Um, that's just a good, that's good public service. That's mm -hmm. good way to help, you know, citizens in Washington. Yeah. So if, for people who are interested, because I've actually had a surprising number of people on my diesel and iron channel reach out asking about how to get into, I want to run one of the fire dozers. What is the process for someone to get involved, first of all, in wildland firefighting? But then secondly, how would you go about trying to get qualified to run one of the actual fire dozers? Well, um, I so I only speak for Washington. Um, I believe, but like even the California Department of Forestry, it's a it's a, um, a state employee who's running their heavy equipment. It's like C dot or W dot or yeah. whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah, And and some of our heavy equipment um, operators in Washington though they may do be doing building roads or road improvement, you know, throughout the year, they, if there's a dozer, DNR has many dozers, we'll use our staff on that dozer. But right. on most fires, it's all private contractors. That's, that's fascinating to me. So how much experience and what kind of training do you need? Cause I can't imagine, I can't imagine you're throwing sure Billy Bob out there on his, his old D6 employees. from, 1982 you know i'm sure there's a fair amount of training that goes on before well, that's you, the one you want to put in the uh, harm's way that's right boy push this dirt out on that fire <laughs> or you're looking for a good insurance claim yeah yeah so, so what is the training process for a private contractor so they do have to be uh, uh carded they do have to go through some wire fund training Mm -hmm. Um, but we do get the, you know, I've seen uh, the full gamut of guys that have been actually building fire line for many years and guys that have not, um, the main thing to assess, um, I go out as a dozer boss and the main thing to assess is, are they safe and are, can they run that equipment safely? Because I'm going to be their ears and eyes. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be telling them where to go, where to build line. I'm going to be telling them, Hey, it's hot, too hot. We need to pull out. We need to abandon this plan. I'm their ears and eyes, but I have seen, and, and, and uh, you know, it's good to have a guy show up and you're like, Oh yeah, he's done this for years. Mm -hmm. he, he knows fire behavior. Um, I've had to kick people off operators off because they're not safe yep. or I can't, I can't trust their skill. And I've also had, I've asked people to go down steep slopes and I've had them refuse that assignment and that's okay. Um, it's outside their comfort zone. To, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Or we may have to, you know, okay, let's try that Ridge or uh, is there another operator um, who needs to do that? The one that doesn't care about his life and just, uh, yeah. hey, toss that guy. <laughs> Where's the well, young guy? You, when do you throw an apple when he's evil pushing evil. the fire? You know? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, how uncomfortable is that conversation when you got to call someone off because they're being reckless, dangerous, or don't have the correct skill? That's I feel like and that would be a the pretty uncomfortable. Very uh, how do you receptive. Run them, yes. How do you run them down through the woods <laughs> during a fire? Well, I, I the most times that conversation is they're going to be initiating that. They're going to be the ones saying, "I don't feel safe." All right, gotcha. gotcha. Um, okay, but. But let's say you've got, you know, someone who's just, you know, unexperienced, you know, say maybe he just showed up. Oh, they told me to run this. Um, you know, we've had that. I've seen that. And that happens, unfortunately. And it's it's not, it shouldn't be a hard conversation because it's a matter of, you know, safety for them, safety for others. Sure. 
You know, it's, it, it's rare. It's yeah, rare, he turns back when the AC doesn't work anymore. Exactly, like, it's getting, getting a little yeah, close uncomfortable in, here, in the cab. Yeah, we'll back off yeah. a little bit. <laughs> we better take that ridge line. <laughs> so you were mentioning that you're the eyes and ears of the dozer guys. Uh, so are you typically posted up on a high ridge somewhere where you can actually see what the fire's doing? How are you able to kind of stay ahead of those guys to keep them safe? So it, it can be various different ways. Um, in in timber. Say that you know thick timber, tall timber. You can't I'm, see anywhere. You can either be you can either be ribboning. Uh, we use ribbon, so like rolls of plastic um, high vis ribbon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've had them, so I'll be marking up where I want them to go, and I'll go out, you know, several hundred yards and just be marking. And I'll, I'll have to leave a trail, a crumb trail, so that they can see me. Sure. Um, at night, I've done it at night where I have a whole bunch of headlamps on. And I'll just be, you know, parked in a certain place and he'll aim for my lights. Gotcha. Um, sometimes though, especially in open, open timber or grass, I can say, you know, start there and I'll meet you at the bottom. And I may not be, you know, in, I may not be seen or near him until, you know, mile, a few miles later. I see a, a very good opportunity for somebody that's good at flying drones to come in and be your guy. Well, I was about to say, oh, yeah. yeah, that opens like up a whole other question is how you know, have drones takes gonna... a person out of you know, yeah. safety and puts a machine in it and you're up there flying. You can be miles out zooming in and kind of, you know, somebody down plotting. This is just me talking aloud. It, it may be already implemented, but when you would you say that you would uh, give a thumbs up to that route? In the future, oh yeah, I, I, and and I can't speak much to it because I don't I don't have the I don't I'd love to have a drone but I don't have an or yeah. So yes, you are you guys are right. Um, I think this is on a Monday. On Monday, you you should go more. into the DNR office and be like, "This is the idea I got. <laughs> we can save on you know putting somebody in harm's way, and also you could uh, probably get like the top notch drone to zoom Absolutely. around when you're not fighting fighters, just having a blast." No. Well, you guys are right. They are using it for recon, reconnaissance, um, where you can't get in there or they want extra eyes. They're also using it to map a fire perimeter. It's a lot faster and cheaper than a helicopter. Yep. Yeah. Uh, They're they're using they're even using it. I I believe now for uh, dropping incinerate devices to start fires when we need to do some burning. All right. Yep. Now, who are you in communication with? If you're leading the dozer throughout the forest, there. Who are you talking to that's giving you the guidance of where you need to keep advancing the, um, the army, the army? Yeah. 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 And so in each morning there's, we always have a big briefing and then, and then depending on where you're working, what division we may have smaller briefings for what the tactics are for the day. Um, but generally most times operators have a radios with them or we'll issue them one. They can't hear it with beans most of the times. Um, so I use hanging singles or I'll use a light uh, to get their attention. But I'm talking, uh, uh, we always have radios with us. Mm-hmm. I'm talking with uh, either my division soup or command back in camp. I wouldn't reach using need command unless, you know, there's an emergency. But I'm talking to my division soup, my superior on the fire, and saying, hey, this is where we are. We made it to this point. We made it to that point. This is what the status is. Uh, there's 
sometimes so much chatter you have to really concentrate on okay they're calling me or is that for bob or jim or sally you know it's, yeah it's like sometimes those radios are just constant i think you uh need to talk to brian off after this podcast about a little piece of uh walkie talkie uh oh they're using all the fancy stuff yeah. already all right. i don't have anything to add oh all right. well, <laughs> well darn well, well we'll drop ship our uh, cobras out <laughs> yeah, for right. 120 bucks yeah <laughs> so uh you you've mentioned camp multiple times and talking about uh the command what does a camp look like what what are the physical attributes of an actual camp where command is located is this a an actual structure, a building that they take over, or is this, they find some campsite somewhere that's relatively close to the fire and set up a little tent like they would in Iraq. Yeah. Uh, I've seen all sorts. Uh, I've been on fires where they set those big yurts. I think that's the right word. Yep. Kind of like a military um, uh, because it's just an open field. It's, it's someone's pasture Mm -hmm. and they just walk down a whole bunch of temporary tents. Um, common, especially in summer, because school's out, we will take over schools. And so the classrooms will become, you know, one's the radio communications, one's the first aid booth, one's the incident command, one's, you know, plans, one's logistics. And, mm. um, so rain, it, the gamut is all over the place. So another question, I, I, I'm just popping off with random questions as I think through this whole thing. It's so, interesting. I love yeah, this. this is fascinating. Yeah. So if you're on a fire, you personally, as Mark, you're on a fire, and this is one of the large complex fires that goes for a month and a half, two months before you finally get it put out. Are you, Mark, on that fire for that whole time, or is there a rotation of firefighters? How does that typically work? Yeah, so um, various agencies have their... Um, you know, own a uh, protocol for uh, certainly safety, but we also call it rest and recuperation and R and R. So for uh, most states, it's you can be on the fire line working 14 days in a row, but after the 14 days, you need one day of rest R and R. All right. Now, uh, uh, and, but you can be extended. And if you're extended, then the R and R changes a little bit. Uh, I believe the feds system, the federal system might be a little different with hot shots. I, I, I could be adjusted on that, but many times people will either be extended or they may go home and do their regular job for a little bit and go back. Interesting. But, uh, but it's 14 days, at least for state, most states. And you have to have, you have to stand down for a day. That seems mentally that, just and I think this about combat as well. I know it's two totally separate worlds, but at the same time, the the mentality standpoint stands the same. It seems insane to me to go from the intensity of working an active fire on the front lines in the middle of nowhere to then come back and go back to your day job as an accountant or whatever for a week and be like, oh yeah, I was just out yeah. in the woods, you know, fighting a fire, and and then on going Tuesday, back tomorrow, if, yeah, Tuesday next week, I'll be back out on the front. That's just insanity I know to me. When I was living in Fairbanks, when the firefighters came into town, yeah, oh, it was every bar they they were banned because they were just there to rock, you know, do a twenty four hour binge and then 
fight and then go, and back, go back and fight fires. And it was didn't like, did you apply for a firefighting job? Yeah, that I didn't get. I stopped once they said I had to jump out of a plane. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, nah. yeah. It was, it was, it was crazy. You know, they would have their one day. They would all come in on a bus and then just tear up every bar and then boop, I could imagine. Then they're gone. And they would leave the town just in shambles. shambles. <laughs> That's got to be a pretty stressful job. Well, oh, God, I, and yeah. I was about to say, Mark, when you've been out on the front lines, is that I, I know when you first get into it, obviously there's that crazy ad- adrenaline rush and the intensity and everything. Once you've kind of been in the space for a while, is there still that intensity or do you kind of get to where you're just working a different type of job what is that like for you mentally it, it is it is quite mental um let's say you know i'm called and i go and i think this is for the most part you know there is that adrenaline rush there's that okay what am i getting into what's this going to be like um you know the days are long sometimes we we often work um you know 14 hour days or 14 hour yeah 14 hour days um, 12, oh, I should say 14, uh, around 10 to 12. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a certain work ratio, two to one, we call it. So, and you really can't break that either. But so the days are long. Um, it's stressful, it's mental. And then, you know, sleep, you're in a tent, you're on the ground. There's lights all night. There's generators. There's a whole camp going all night. So sleep, you get sleep depraved. Yeah. But after about, you know, three to four days in, you're so pooped, you can sleep anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and for me personally, it takes about, um, you know, four or so days to get into that pattern that I'm just so exhausted. I can sleep through any lights and any noise. Um, it's not my own bed. And then I get up and in about a week, you're actually, okay, I'm, I'm, I can do this. So yeah. it's pretty much like having a newborn. Get, you just learn to sleep. You just learn to sleep, yeah. Now, As could, a parent. <laughs> now, can somebody make this a full-time job or is this just a side hustle, basically, when a fire is happening? You, no, you can't. And, and I've elected, you know, I, I, I was, um, I went to school for Forrester. So I've been in forestry my career. Um, recently, I was more in, in policy and politics. But um, you, we have seasonal firefighters. Mm-hmm. So um, our engines, and we even now are, are having hand crews, that they'll be seasonal. And so uh, Forest Service does a seasonal uh, um, firefighter as well. Hot shots, uh, they come on early around springtime and they may be working well into the early parts of winter year round. I mean, some, some fire staff, you know, the way fire works in, in, in the United States, you know, the West is burning in the, you know, the summer, Alaska is burning in spring, you know, Florida and even the East, they have different times of when they're burning. So some people may be, you know, going all to and taking a tour around the United States. Mm-hmm. When I was, when I was, uh, what, 2019, I went back up to visit my friends for a wedding in, uh, Talkeetna, just outside of Fairbanks and just south of Denali in Alaska. And we're fly fishing all day, having a blast. And next thing you know, I look up, I'm like, I don't think that's a campfire, guys. <laughs> and we just sat there and I was like, all right. And, you know, we, we, uh, had to utilize a random person's, yard to get to the property or to the river to do the fly fishing 
they were telling us about, you know, yeah, we've been lucky and fortunate that we haven't had forest fires, you know, yet this year because it was hot, like 85 degrees, which is not normal for weeks on end. And we're just in wow. and this we, is in Alaska. Yeah, yeah this is in Telkina, oh, which wow. is like not a place where it's hot. It's right by Denali, you know, so the, the national park. So high elevation, not really that kind of uh, the warm season does not kick on for that long, maybe a couple of days. So anyways. She's telling us like, oh, you know, we're blessed. We haven't had fires and all. And all of a sudden, next thing you know, we're like, oh, my God, you know, and we're just we're having a blast drinking whiskey, fly fishing, doing the whole thing. And the next thing you know, someone flicks a cigarette. (laughs) No, it wasn't us, but we felt as if they thought it was because it was like the bear came barreling out of the woods, you know, down the river from us. (laughs) And we're like, oh, this is getting really bad. And next thing you know, it, it got bad. There was air flight came in they're dropping and we're like oh my god we should get out of this area so we backtracked all the way up the river got to this person's house and she's just like like crying what did you do like this is <laughs> i don't know how we're gonna plan for this so like right now the wind's going the right direction but yeah. if it shifts we're screwed yeah and we're like i don't know what we can do but gave her a big hug and it was like we're going to the bar and then next thing you know we're stuck in Telkeetna. like this highway's closed this is it turn into like a three you know acre fire to like a 3500 acre you know oh, fire yeah. to i think a couple thousand more wow. throughout the week well, back it to was fly horrible fishing. yeah yeah <laughs> so i was just like oh we're just on a bachelor party but yeah, yeah that was that was intense i seen that the one time we were glenwood springs colorado out there to we went to work the one day and then on the way back you hear the radio going off you know the local news station and as we're coming back both mountains on the on side of the freeways are on fire. Yep. And there's nothing more like crapping your pants of CN flame and you're just driving through 70 mile an hour just looking like <laughs> it's the worst. And you see the yeah. big airplanes coming to be like realistic dropping water and crapping. You're like, holy crap. Yeah, dude. Mark, you can probably relate because you guys probably deal with fires a lot. But like when it comes when the smoke comes in the city, it is bad. You know, because in oh, yeah. where we're in Fairbanks, you know. People don't have AC. They don't have furnace. It's you know dry cabin, so they don't have any way to circulate fresh air. So you know and filter it out. So I was working at Home Depot at that time, and we had thousands of people hanging out inside the store. You know, it still smelled like a bonfire, but it was giving you at a little bit. Fresh. You walked yeah. outside that door, and it was like breathe. <laughs> you know, so it was like being back in the bar before you know the cigarette ban was done. Yeah. <laughs> so the the another story I have from Texas, uh, which is the closest. I never thought in Oak Hill, which is which is an outskirt of Austin. This is another one that your mom started. No, no, no. Right. mom, mom wasn't responsible for this one. It was a it was a homeless guy. <laughs> so, but we lived in in Oak Hill, which is an outskirt of Austin. Like we're in the city. Like it's not not like we're out in the sticks in a little town. Like we're in the city. And uh, let's see here. I think it was a Sunday, and my wife was at work. And I'm sitting at home watching TV because it was my day off. And again, we're right on a major highway. So I hear ambulances go by or sirens. Okay, whatever. Another wreck up on 290. I'm still watching my show. A little while later, more sirens go by. Okay, no big deal. A little while later, more sirens go by. I'm like, man, that must be a pretty good sized wreck. Go back to watching my show. A little while later, more sirens go by. I'm like, Okay, I got to go out, you know, I got to go see what's going on. This is good. So I go outside and the whole highway is totally at a standstill. 
And I start walking down the highway because there's a big intersection about a mile down the road from where our apartment was. And I'm going to go, that's where the accident's got to be. I'm going to go see it. So I start walking up the road. Some guy's got his window down. I'm like, do you have any idea what's going on? And he goes, yeah. And he points behind me and I turn around and there is a wall of smoke and it is coming from just over on the other side of the hill. And I was like, oh, <laughs> all right, I need to panic a little bit now. So I run back up the hill. So it turns out there was this um, homeless guy that decided to cook himself a little a little chili on his campfire. Be in Texas. Chid, uh, the chili fire got away from him. It ended up burning, I want to say, like 200 acres or something. They ended up calling in. Uh, air support from North Texas, and I want to say from Arizona. So we are actively moving as much stuff out of our apartment as we can by the handful into the back of my truck. And this is one of the like craziest, but most incredibly awesome moments I will forever remember. But also remember. wishing you were a minimalist. So Dude, it was, yeah. And where were you guys going to drive with the freeway to stop? Well, no, so we could actually get out through a different direction in our neighborhood that we could go to my parents' place. So that was the plan is we were going to grab all this, this stuff and go. And so, but no, we're we're loading all this stuff and all of a sudden you just hear this low rumble. And I was like, I think I know what that is. And sure enough, I look up and at like 200 feet, this thing is right over top of us, goes a C-130 with a drop. And I was just like... This is so incredible. This yeah. is awesome. Hopefully I'm, I'm really sad zone. that everything's burning down, but this is awesome. Yeah, it's a sight <laughs> to see. It is incredible. This thing's right over top. So anyway, that was my other forest fire experience that happened in the middle of of a city. It yeah. was insanity. It was absolute insanity. That's crazy. So, so one of my other questions, I'm sorry, Mark, again with the stories, but another question I've got no, for no, you, you keep talking about you guys going to sleep. Clearly, you can't just go to sleep on the front lines of one of these major fires. So I'm assuming what happens for you guys is you got some trucks that come pick you up off the front lines and they take you back to a camp to sleep. Well, yeah, a shift. There's generally two. shifts. Uh, there's a day shift and then sometimes there's night shift. And um, typically early in the season that the day shift runs from six in the morning uh, to six at night. And sometimes we go over that though. Mm -hmm. But so when, when I say go back to sleep after my day shift, but I've been out overnight too. Sometimes it rolls in special initial attack. It, you can be out there a few days, but on when the, typically when the t whole team's there, it's a complex fire. We have all the support staff. I'll be going back to camp later that evening. Uh, and so that's where, uh, we eat. Um, that's where we sleep. Um, once in a while we get showers. Um, but that is, so it's going back to camp is where we do our sleeping. And, right. uh, the term we've generally used is, you know, it's tent city. Yeah. If you've yeah. ever seen some of these, there's, you know, hundreds of tents out in the fairgrounds parking lot or the field, right? It's a professional homeless encampment. Yes. It's not no Austin, <laughs> Austin, you know, downtown. That's right. Exactly. Camp right city. under the bridge. <laughs> just need your own bucket and toilet paper. <laughs> that's right bring your own toilet paper so when you're actually out on the front lines is, is this you know i'm just kind of thinking through the logistics of if i'm working a fire line digging a two-foot trench for as long as i can see 
is it really go as fast as you can or is there a generally accepted kind of you as a team have to pace yourself so that you don't burn yourself out in the first hour being on the line? Oh yeah, you do. You do. I mean, you know, um, there, there's t- types of crews. Um, hot shots are the most elite. And so we typically expect them to build uh, not only faster production lines, uh, they're also in the worst terrain. We don't want to put a, an unexperienced or a newer crew on some of the more riskier areas, uh, but it is a pacing. And, you know, safety is the main goal. So we're not going to be rushing into the head of the fire. Uh, wh- what you typically do is you anchor you know, hopefully you anchor at the, where it started and your goal is to steer or wrap it around. If you will try and explain this without a drawing board, but yeah, so encapsulate the fire. Be, we're all going to be on the flanks or helping to steer, helping to corral this thing. Right. Yeah. And so, um, but if there's time to build line, either hand line or dozer, you know, you go and you work safely, you work hard. It, it isn't, it, it's, it's hard work. Sure. It's not going to faint. Um, but yes, you're going to take rest breaks over the day, over the time. Generally, if it's, um, we've got the fire at least, you know, it's still not out and it's still going to be running and gunning, but you know, there'd be times to take, you know, your lunch, a whole half hour lunch. Yeah. Now, um, take a water break during a huge, let's say a large forest fire that's on national news. Do you have, do you guys ever get care packages from Hershey's or Kraft, you know, a bunch of, you know, milk chocolate bars and marshmallows and graham crackers? So yeah. you guys, can, <laughs> you know, just to get, just to give you guys some. So you know, we're little, gonna need Unit Five on the yeah. s'more line, <laughs> <laughs> just to make some fun of well, it. Yeah. No, because I know it would, it would put a smile on my face after fighting a fire for like four weeks and just being like, "Man, I could just I go could for really a s'more. go for a s'more right now." So. <laughs> I've been more like that sense of humor ship has sailed. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know if uh, I haven't seen many companies um, uh, other sponsor forest uh, fires. I've, got, <laughs> I've, I've gotten you know residences are you know thrilled to death, understandably. So they will. They will, you know, give you all sorts of treats. Uh, I've had people come into camp offering um, ice cream or cookies. That's got to be uh, super then, rewarding. Here's some ice oh, cream. It, it's it going to melt in three it seconds. Is. <laughs> it is. But no, that, that but also, is awesome that they do that. A, you also get, you know, um, thank you cards from the for local community kids. And, and that's, it's a good feeling because you're that's there very to rewarding. support them, to help them. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, have you gotten any hairy situations where you started second questioning your decision on what you got yourself involved with or put your men yeah. in that yeah. way the risk yeah after after 20 some years yes I, i've um i've broken my leg on a fire oh wow hmm. um i have been in so many pretty much where, was that when your wife was walking you're walking out say i love you and break a leg you know <laughs> and you're like dang it why did she tell me to do that <laughs> um but i've had been in many places where it's gotten uh you know too hot or the fire has gone over our line unexpectedly and we've had to uh, um quit the operation and and get out of get out of there yes i've done that had to do that several times so how do you get out of a path of the fire that's jumped your line 
Because now well, it's starting to surpass where you're at. So the, um, we always try to maintain um, an escape route. All right. And so that may be actually, you know, this escape route may be, okay, everyone back to your trucks down the road. Yeah. In an orderly, orderly, organized manner. Uh, it may be, you know, okay, turn the dozer around. We're going right back out the way we came in. Um, I've also been in a, with a dozer where we were building line and uh, the fire came behind us and crossed our line. And so we just basically lifted the blade and motored the thing you know, through the green woods to, to find a place uh, mm-hmm. uh, we have safety, we have escape routes and then we have safety zones. Gotcha. And so I had to just, uh, you, and you always, no matter where you are, if some, from where you're starting and you're anchoring and you're flanking, you're flanking, you're going around, you know, yep. over hills and through ravines, you're always maintaining situational awareness of where is my escape route All right. it, now and now it have- can move. Okay, it was road thousand. Now it's going to be road two thousand. Okay, yeah. in another hour, it's actually going to be road three thousand. Now, have you guys? Have you personally ever been in a situation that that escape route was gone, and you guys just got to bunker down and hope for the best? No, um, um, I've never had to deploy my shelter. All right. Uh, you I got a shelter. Just, yeah, they got the shelter blanket, the fire blankets. Now, what's this? Thing? Yeah. So it's. Um, it's, you know, we call it tongue in cheek, a shake and bake bag, but it's um, <laughs> very heavy duty, heavy duty aluminum. Uh, it's got some fiberglass weed. It's your last resort. Uh, everyone on the fire line has to carry one and makes sense to do so. Oh, yeah. most definitely. It's, yeah. You, you don't, we, we fight fire to the sense that we aren't going to expect to use them. It's not a, oh, let's get to a spot that we can use our shelter. Yep. It's a last resort. And so I have never had to deploy my shelter. Um, I've, I've, I've been in places where I reach behind me and pat it and say, okay, it's there. Yeah. Um, but I've never had to deploy it. Well, and so all of these questions kind of all lead into a question I've, I've been working up to, which is, uh, on some of these large fires, especially within the last year or two, I seem to recall there was an event where there was a decent loss of life of firefighters. They got trapped. That was Northern California. Or if Washington. I remember, yeah, somewhere in there. And so one of my questions is, you know, we, we kind of always envision these fires as being out in the forest and, you know, just in the naivety of not being in there. How do you get into a situation to where you don't have any options? You have to deploy this thing. How how do you experience that sort of loss of life when you're out in the wilderness? Well, it's it it is horrendous. It's it's a very tragic thing when we lose. Uh, you know, I may not know those individuals, but they're in my community. They're sure. in my firefighter. Oh, absolutely, um, part of the brotherhood. Absolutely. <laughs> It is. It is. Um, you know, I don't want to say accidents happen. Um, we always try to learn from those. Sure. Uh, and, and, you know, you think, okay, you know, after years we've got it, so we're not going to lose anything, but, um, you know, let's say a snag comes down. You really can't prepare for that. Is that, now, what, what is a snag? Is yeah, that a tree? Could you elaborate on tree, that? Yeah. Okay. Right. Okay. Yeah. So like a dead tree. Um, you're always looking around. We, we have a, a phrase, look up, look down, look around. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're, that situational awareness, if you're going into an area and, you know, you can't see uh, the smoke, you don't know exactly where it, where the column is, you know, you always want to be considering situational awareness. And 
you know, the safety comes first. So that's why sometimes, and you guys said it, we're going to be taking a step back and say, you know, we're not going to engage in this valley. Yeah. We're going to go to the next valley. Yep. So um, like some, but, so sometimes but, taking but a night shift. Is, okay. Go ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Uh, the, the thing I'd end with that is that, you know, on these tragedies, uh, there is a very um, detailed investigation mm-hmm. and we, um, we, we look at those, we talk about those and said, okay, what happened in this situation? Uh, not, not a finger pointing exercise is okay. Where do we can learn from? So it doesn't happen again. Exactly. And that's, that's kind of, you know, on our construction side, on our dirt world side, you know, you all, it always stinks yeah. when something bad happens and everyone feels as if, you know, cause at the end of the day, the hierarchy, the people, the owners, the whatever they're, they're looking at, Oh man, there's a loss. So we got to put the blame on somebody, you know, instead of learning from a bad situation, you come together and figure out what did we do wrong? What can we do better next time? You know, and go from there. So it's, it's, it would right. never, it's right. never fun being the fall guy, but at the same time, it takes a team. And if that team can't do this next time and make everybody come home safely, then it's got to stop and you guys got to learn from it. So, yep. but, but yeah, no, it's amazing what you guys do. And I, I've been, I've been looking at, you know, online to see exactly what, you know, the things that you've been saying throughout this podcast. And it's, it's amazing what you guys do. It's, it's I, I more even, complex than yes, you would even think it's of. It's very though. complex. You know, when you think of someone just talking about building a line, you just, you think of someone just digging trench, yeah. just building a line, not really going into the whole aspects of it all. But when you start breaking it down, saying it's in military terms and then local agencies, the federal agencies to, you know, the bigger picture of what's involved on yep. the whole control of a fire. Like, yeah. It's a lot bigger and, and a lot more structured than we would even think of to wrap our head around. Yeah. yeah. And it, and, it, and it should be, and it needs to be because, you know, let's there's this year. So when, when fire season starts, we're going to have individuals that have gone through, you know, the classroom exercise, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they've done the little experiments. Okay. This is how you dig a line. This is how you use your tools. They're going to, some of them will have a for their first fire this year. And so what the goal is to have then their leader, uh, be it a, be it a hand crew, be it a fire, an, an engine crew, their leader is going to be more seasoned than they. Yep. And then there's going to be the, myself, you know, the middle management, the resource boss, I'm going to be more seasoned than the engine leader. And so it's a matter of, I don't want to put someone below me into that situation. Um, and then I expect someone above me to say, Mark, you know, we're not going to go into that Valley. We're going to, okay, thanks. You know, I wasn't aware of that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, it's a, that, that chain of command should go up and it should go down as yeah. far as accountability. Now, how does somebody move up the ranks? Obviously, you know, work from working on the line to being the guy more behind scenes. How do, how do you take those steps? Yeah. Um, we have what we call a task book and that's a national um, interagency organization that oversees the qualifications for firefighting. And uh, let's say a firefighter to first year, you know, say that, Hey, I'm going to try this out see what it's about. They'll go through the training. They'll get their task book. And in that task book, and, and that task book is for everything from, from line work to even, you know, uh, the, um, the person who's overseeing logistics to uh, a food unit leader, they all have their task books. And it's a matter of getting a task book assigned and then trainee. And then there's a trainer. 
And so you may, the first task may be, okay, you know, how are you going to assess fire behavior in this situation Mm -hmm. or build, build a mile of line. And then there's a trainer that watches you. And if you perform that task well, and sometimes it may take several fires, then they will check that, that task or that element off. And once you complete a book, if you feel comfortable and, and your superiors feel comfortable, they may issue a different book. And so you kind of move through the ranks and it'd be like a firefighter and then a resource boss and then a strike train leader and then a division soup and then IC. And by time an IC, that's several years under his belt, several task books and many fires. All right. Now, now I'm just thinking I'm dreaming right now, you know, could like in the the future could we prevent forest fires like not just smoky bear style like oh only you can prevent forest fires but only like, if the sign is that's like the, the first green. thing I thought like, you know of, yeah. how we put together space force or the army or something like something crazy could we put together a fire force that starts controlled fires in areas that you know because out in the middle of nowhere uh you know a fire goes you just let it burn until it goes out but when it starts jeopardizing life structure so on and so forth is there a thing like it may be just a pipe dream but could they go out 50 miles from any big city that's surrounded by force that could be in that that path of catastrophe and do control burns on a large scale you know not millions of acres a day but do an 20 acres, 20 acres, 20 years. Mark, let me to, break this down. What Matt's trying to ask. He wants to know if there's any way he can fly that drone that drops the incendiary <laughs> device. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. But that was not a fun way to explain. That's it. true. That's yeah. true. It didn't sound professional. But it, like, could we put together a, a task force to prevent massive fires from happening and jeopardizing human lives and structures and cities by planning ahead you know instead of waiting till it happens and then it so just turns better into forestry a, management yes. is essentially what correct. you're talking about correct so don't follow california yeah well, well you you uh you said the word uh, better forest management yeah all right um, bam you know, there's, you know yeah I nailed mean, it <laughs> so i guess if we rewound real quick <laughs> can we do better forest management there you go and can I fly the drone that drops yes. the fire bombs? Well, that's that's where you start getting into the land management divisions that the government spends the money, but then the states at the local level don't utilize don't it, don't quite use it. You know. So I yeah. wish we had an expert guest that could answer this question for us. <laughs> Mark, what are your thoughts well, on? Can we call up Washington? <laughs> Yeah. Well, no, um, you know, and we're just forests, messing with it. We're, we're having fun with this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Our, our forests do need help. Um, they do. and, and to some degree, I will actually compliment you. I'm not sure which one said, but you said smoky bear and that's correct. Yeah. It's, that's, uh, that's me. It's not smoky the bear for forest service would get on you. Yes. 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 Wow. We learned yeah. something tonight. I did yep. not. I've always yeah. thought of it as smoky. Well, the bear. Think of it. It's not Easter, the bunny, right? Yeah. Okay. Ooh, oh, boy, bam. man. I like how you just put it. That, <laughs> yeah, he put and me I right in my right. place. Say I got it, it right. He put me in my place. Yep. Absolutely. I have a hat <laughs> from uh, from up in northern Michigan. I went. We went camping with a family back when we were. Geez, I was probably five, six years old. I still have the hat that it says, says Smokey Bear. Only you 
can prevent forest And fires. it's Smoky Bear. Yeah. Period. <laughs> Done. Smoky Bear. Microphone drop. Yep. Bam. <laughs> So, well, you know, I, the forest, we do, um, you know, the smoky bear has done a good job, but maybe he's done too good a job. And that, yeah. at one time we put all fires out. Fires were bad. Yep. Well, you guys know this, you know, it, they're not naturally, they, we need fire. Yeah. So, so with climate change and all that, you know, who knows the, how much of them impacting it, but we need to get our forests so that they can handle a fire Correct. and not and not to be ripped ripped apart from a fire. So Smokey Bear's message should change to only you should set responsible fires. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They got to just quit doing the selfies with them. Yeah. (laughs) So it it is like a pointing the finger. Only you can prevent forest fires. Like, man, that lightning, I I had nothing to do. You know, that was God. That was God saying you guys have not kept up on forest management. Totten, you shouldn't have been out there doing acid. (laughs) But <laughs> yeah, that's another so, story for another day. Uh, I do have a quick question for you, uh, Mark. Um, what what is a realistic expectation for pay for guys that are starting out in this industry on the front lines, and then as you kind of progress? And we don't have to get hyper specific on pay, but just kind of a pay range, so guys have an idea of: is this something that you can really feed a family off of, or is this something that's more of you go volunteer as a hobby? At, yeah, and it's more supplemental or hobby type income. You know, I I, secondary I, I don't know. I don't even know what we are paying. Is <laughs> uh, I don't have the answer of what we're even paying our uh, seasonal fire crews. Um, it's, I'm pretty sure it's over uh, minimum wage. Would you say but you're happy you're with the it. line that you have made or the, the choice you've made to be in the DNR and go forward in this venture? Yeah. yeah. But he's I mean, also a unique bird. They're making their no. money is, um, is overtime. Ah, okay. And, and, and everybody, you know, now, over time as in 30 years or over time is over 40. No, they're hoping <laughs> the thing just keeps burning. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, you said you mentioned paid. So um, the overtime is why a lot of people get into it. Um, You know, hot shots, if it's a busy summer, you know, they may make, you know, 30,000, 40,000 a year in just six months. Just in a summer. Wow. So not, yeah, not in a year. Yeah. So just in a couple of months, man, I'll go jump in that way of the fire to make a couple bucks. And so. And so many folks do that. Um, they make their o- an overtime pay because it's, you know, you're going to be making way more than 40 hours a week. Yeah. Um, and that's a lot of people get into it from that. Other people get into the excitement, you know, the camaraderie. But um, pay is, is you know, it's it's on everybody's mind, certainly. Yeah. Now, Mark, hey. what would you, you want to tell people that are on the fence about getting into this line of industry? <laughs> Well, um, it is exciting. Uh, there, there is a very, it's risky. It's hard work. Um, but it's exciting and it's rewarding. Part of the rewarding is, you know, you're outdoors, um, you're with a team, you've got a mission and most times we're successful. Uh, but you're also, you know, helping a community, helping those to save their property, save their house, save our forest. That's a good feeling. Um, but you know it is hard work, and there's a risk factor that mm-hmm. everyone has to consider. Yep. I'm sure. I'm sure people try it out for a year or two, and they're like, "No, that's not for me." Yeah, yeah, and that's fine. That's yeah. fine. Um, but, but you they know, gave the it fence, their all. 
they'll get a mural. You know, if, if they're if they're thinking about it, uh, the state uh, we always hire uh, each year. We always uh, it's an application process, of course. The federal system does the same thing. They hire firefighters each summer. And, you know, I would encourage people, if they are interested, said, this like, sounds like fun, um, then reach out to the Federal Forest Service and your various states, um, because most states have a firefighting uh, program of some sort. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I like that. It's good information. So, yeah. realistically, just to, to set some clear expectations for guys out there, I think there's a lot of guys that are under the impression that there's just a a ton of fire dozers out there. Realistically, what are the odds of someone getting into a position to where they can run a fire dozer? That's, that seems to be a, a relatively rare spot. Not that it's impossible, but it's not, you know, one out of every three firefighters out there is running a fire dozer. No. And I mean, I've never run a dozer, so I'm the, the, you know, we call it dozer boss, but, um, it's, it's like I said, it's, it's going to be private contractors mm-hmm. and okay. some of them. So a typical firefighter will not be running the dozer. It's yeah. the operator who has been trained, as you guys know, who can run that equipment, knows how the gears, knows how the blades, knows how to, you know, work it on. Untra- so, um, I just get to live vicariously watching them. Gotcha. Which is the best. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, are you able to take over that dozer? If something does happen, can you jump on it and run it? I can run a dozer, but it isn't pretty. <laughs> That's so, as long as you can run away from the fire in hey, it, you should be all right. <laughs> you and I, Mark, out of the out of the four of us, I am in the same boat as you. I can drive a dozer. <laughs> it is not going to look pretty, but man, I will move some dirt. <laughs> he's ready for the rough gray. <laughs> or he's going to tumble it down a hill. Who knows? Not, hey, let's roll the dice. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, so we're going to wrap it up, but uh, hey, it's been a pleasure, but we want to end it with this. If you could change anything in that you've been doing, what would be your dream job? My dream job? Your dream so, job. Yeah, if you could. Oh, that is a, that is a, um, underwater archaeology. Wow, that is uh, interesting. I think that's the best one we got so far. So what inspired that? Yeah. And what is it? Yeah. Shipwrecks? Well, uh, uh, you know, it, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Nice. Uh, I like history. I like history. I do like uh, ships in the ocean. And then if you can find one with gold medallions, I guess that would be a fun. Now, thing are, you a, a of, uh, well, are you a fan of, well, are you a fan of Curse of Oak Island? I don't even know what that oh, is. Which island? Uh, Curse of Oak Island. It's a D, uh, Discovery Channel show. It is epic. So, oh, no, I've never seen it. Yeah, it's uh, Northern Michigan. Or, uh, it's over by, uh, it's uh, Northern Quebec, I think. And it's it's the Templars and all that fun stuff. So it's just uh, a little tiny called Apple Island. Hmm. So you should look into it. Oh, thank you. Well, anyways, that was a good answer. Yeah, that's I was going to say that's probably the most interesting answer we've had to that question so far. Now, are you certified mm-hmm. to scuba dive? No, no. Oh, it's, I, I, that would be fun. But that's I after retirement, right? That's right. Exactly. Exactly. You already trained it. on the SCBA, right? Now you're just adding the underwater component. No, no, I'm not. I'm not a structure guy at all. Oh, so that I, is. I just breathe. I just breathe air and smoke. So all that right. that is a question that I had way way back that I totally forgot about. You guys, for the most part, you guys don't use SCBAs out on the fire line. You're just sucking no, smoke all day. No. 
So maybe really quickly, I could touch on this. Our, our safety gear is, um, heavy duty leather Vibram boots. All right. Uh, we have, we call it Nomex. You've probably seen pictures. It's the green pants and the yellow shirt. Yep. That's fire retardant clothing, uh, hard hat. We have gloves. We have shrouds sometimes and safety goggles. And then our, um, our fire pack, which some, you know, has water, may have some fusies, may have a little bit of snacks. Um, and then our radio. So that's our equipment, but yes, wow. it's the structure guys uh, ha- who has all the apparatuses. Interesting. And so the Vibrams, I got to ask this, are you guys all rocking the, f- the, the five fingers? You, you got a separate toe pockets in those boots? <laughs> like my- no, no, they're just, they basically look like logging boots. Oh, well, fair enough. I always weirded people out no, because what, I'm from Austin. And what I are the five your, fingers. <laughs> your preferred fire boots? Well, I have a pair of whites and I have a pair of West Coast. So all right. Two different brands. So What's JK, JK, what do you feel about JKs? I don't know JKs. Oh, I'm, I'm just looking at a firefighter, Wildland Firefighters Instagram page right now. And getting JKs his outfit, right? are the hot topic. Is, yeah, he's already like neck no deep in intended. what he's going to buy. <laughs> <laughs> have a flight scheduled by tomorrow to get out there. Well, Mark, I want to appreciate and uh, thank you for your time tonight. Yeah, Absolutely. It's been awesome. It's been so much fun. Well, thank you. I've enjoyed it too. And I, I wish you guys uh, great success on more and more and more listeners. Heck yeah. Thank we appreciate you. it. Yeah, we do appreciate it. So thank you guys again, as always, for listening. Uh, if you're on an Apple device, do us a favor. Go give us a rating. Give us a review. That's going to substantially boost the podcast and help us to continue to grow so that we can, t- can continue to give you guys great content. Um, and I'm going to ask a favor. Uh, we've kind of been focusing on primarily dirt people. Uh, if you're a pipe fitter, an iron worker, if you're a carpenter, any of these other trades, we would Electrician. love. Yeah, electricians. We want to get some of the other trades on. That's why we were so happy. I need a happy. crane operator. Absolutely, Ooh. absolutely. That's why we were so happy to have Mark on is because he's he's so out of left field compared to the dirt world. This has been very interesting. Yeah, it was great. So if you are interested on being on and you're in one of these other trades, uh, shoot us an email. That digger dude, D-I-G-G-E-R. So two G's in that. That digger dude at gmail.com and uh, and give us a little history on yourself and we'd love to have you on the podcast. Or just message us on uh, Instagram or Facebook. Oh yeah, Instagram especially. Super Instagram, simple. Yeah, super easy. We'd love to have you on. So thanks for listening and we'll catch you guys on the next episode of Sweat and Grime. Thank <laughs> you.